Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network Podcast in partnership with Reuters. The Esports Network Podcast is presented by Technology Game Changers. Check them out at tgcplay.com, linked below the show. If you work for a company looking to increase its reach in esports, Esports Network is looking for sponsors across our podcasts, our online media, and the Gamer Hour, a celebrity interview show hosted by Chris Puckett. If you're interested in starting a conversation about sponsorship, please reach out to Esports Network CEO Mark Timmick using the email in the bio of this podcast. Now on to the show. Today's guest is Bobby Sharma. Bobby is a special advisor to the sports and entertainment group at Foley and Lardner Law Firm. He is also a founding partner of the Electronic Sports Group, alongside esports pioneer Mike Sepso, who was just on the show last week. Funny enough, neither one was focused on ESG during their shows, but the company is a leading esports advisory firm. While Mike provides nearly two decades of esports experience, Bobby comes from a background in traditional sports. He was instrumental in building up the NBA Development League, which is now called the G League, and then he worked as a senior VP of basketball and strategic initiatives at IMG. In addition to his work with Foley and Lardner and ESG, Bobby is also currently a partner at GACP Sports, a sports-focused private equity firm, and he's the chairman of Blue Devil Holdings, LLC, a sports, media, and entertainment investment company. It's safe to say he's an expert in a wide variety of areas. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This show is focusing on a study published in mid-November, which is an annual look at the esports industry. The study is conducted by Foley and Laudner Law Firm, and specifically Foley Sports Entertainment Group, where Bobby is a special advisor. The study was also conducted in partnership with the Esports Observer. This is the third year of the study, which interviews hundreds of executives around esports. I won't go through all the findings here, and I'll link the full report below this show. But some of the stats that were of interest included that 73% of survey respondents expect to see increased investment in esports as the pandemic winds to an end over Q4 2020 and Q1 2021. The study also touched on gambling, how traditional sports could use esports in better ways, and a lot more interesting insight from leading executives across the U.S. and Europe primarily. Bobby, of all the different findings in the report, was there one stat that really stood out to you, something that surprised you uh, once, once all the data was done and collected? I don't think anything surprised me. I, I think, I mean, this is a really interesting uh, survey that Foley and Lardner has been conducting now for three years, and it gets even more interesting with each passing year to see the evolution of the industry, at least the perception of the uh, of the evolution of the industry um, in real time. Um, but I think last year, uh, you know, looking at trends is always really interesting. Last year, I think we saw a more mature level of investment um, uh, come in, in the sense that you had more private equity capital than venture capital. Uh, than in the past, which made sense given that the esports industry is young but uh, quickly maturing, and uh, there there seemed to be a lot more long-term value plays for investors. Uh, the pandemic, of course, thrown a wrench into everything. And um, you know, to answer your question more directly, I'm not surprised that uh, the findings of this uh, survey basically are mixed, in that um, of course like all sports media and entertainment properties, esports has taken a hit um, to some extent because of uh, the massive disruption um, because of COVID-19 and, and the pandemic um, that that's, that's basically disrupted, uh, you know, any, any events uh, or uh, oriented business. Um, and uh, whereas a lot of people understand esports to, to live largely online, the reality is the esports culture lives uh, you know, very much um, 
in person at, at large gatherings and arenas and stadiums and uh, and, and smaller scale type events. Um, so that that's had a direct impact to the revenue. But I say mixed because throughout this pandemic, there has been uh, certainly a perception that esports has thrived, and it's definitely true to to certain extents. Uh, it's been terrific for the publishers because more people are playing video games, more people have more time in the day because they're not commuting, or um, uh, you know are at home where, where a lot of these things are consumed and, and participated in. Um, and, uh, you know, part of our, uh, survey questions and, uh, and the narrative that, that you mentioned you're linking that we put together from the results, um, speaks to, to those trends, um, where we've had some, uh, of the media companies reporting, you know, web traffic up, you know, 75% in terms of gaming, you've had, uh, certain situations where, um, uh, you've had, uh, uh, you know, gambling become, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll speak to that later, um, become uh, an actual regulated phenomenon for esports that wasn't in the past because of, in part, because of the absence, complete absence in the second quarter of this year of any traditional um, live sports at all to bet on. So um, it, it's it's been, um, I'd say the good is outweighed the bad. And I think that's that's where the, the survey nets out uh, for esports and that it's it's taken a hit, but a minor hit. And um, it's it's poised for more growth um, going forward um, relative to tra- traditional sports, which is, I think, what makes esports so amazing is that it has such a big and under monetized and young and natively digital, highly educated, high disposable income audience um, that everybody wants to 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 connect with. So. Um, so, yeah, I think both both for the good and the bad, good outweighing the bad. Uh, the results are n- not too surprising and nothing really um, uh, surprising to me, I should say. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. I come from a traditional sports background and throughout this pandemic, I think the one thing that was really highlighted was esports adaptability and the way the esports industry can change and evolve on the fly in a way that takes traditional sports leagues uh, months and months to figure out, okay, how do we do this? We're going to use all these resources at our space. We're going to create a bubble in Orlando, and that's how we're going to finish the NBA season. Meanwhile, esports, it takes a month or so, and they, they move everything to online competition. So while I do push back on the idea, yeah, this was good for esports. We've seen that thrown out there by by a lot of uh, major publications. Just like, wow, what a great moment for esports. I definitely push back on that. But one big thing they've shown is in a constantly changing world, esports can adapt a lot quicker that sports can, and that's a big opportunity for esports going forward. Yeah, I think that's right. May I ask what what traditional sports uh, you're involved with in the past? Just out of curiosity, I studied sports broadcasting, so I went okay. uh, all the way up through school. was going to be uh, was going to be a sports anchor. Uh, my biggest sports are football, basketball, and tennis. And, and then my uh, senior year, I decided, hey, let's go. Uh, do this esports thing and i've been doing that for the last three years but a lot of my experience has sat sort of at the intersection of sports and esports interviewing uh athletes interviewing uh executives that have come from the sports world over to esports so i really enjoy uh finding parallels finding comparisons between the two worlds yeah and and me too i asked because i actually come from a traditional sports background too i spent nine years at the nba where i helped build and run their minor league the nba development league which you might be familiar with and uh, now called the g league 
And um, and we have a number, uh, I think, a really you know powerful part of the sports practice at Foley and Lardner, which is one of the largest firms in the world. But our sports group, in particularly, um, uh, in particular, has unique um, characteristic uh, of having former practitioners from the sports world. One of my colleagues, uh, who's a vice chair of the group, uh, was a longtime NBA attorney. Uh, and we've got attorney, a former NFL. Uh, team council attorneys, NHL team council attorneys, um, and uh, the former president of Major League Baseball for 15 years, Bob Dupay. Um, so, um, and and I, I bring all that up because of the relevance to esports, and that um, you know esports as a as a construct has been around for as you probably know like 18, 19 years at this point, almost a generation, and uh, it just hasn't been valued or monetized um, until maybe the last five years. And that, that was probably around the time which you saw the, the rise of, of these franchise leagues um, that the, these, these publishers who have absolutely crushed it during the pandemic, as I mentioned, um, uh, from a revenue perspective. Um, but they're the ones who started importing all the best practices from traditional sports to create um, uh, value uh, propositions for investors for players and stability for all, for all and growth for all. Um, so, so yeah. And, and so to your question uh, about the, the adaptability of esports, um, that's a good one to kind of illustrate the differences. So there, there are, there's the ability of esports uh, to monetize an audience that's still underway. That is the present, you know, challenge and maturation process that the, the industry is over is undergoing. It's a relatively tiny billion dollar industry and $160 billion video gaming industry, which is the biggest of all entertainment sectors at this point. Um, and, uh, but uh, it, it's, it's starting to create that value um, and, and it has some unique characteristics. I would actually say the adaptability can work both ways. Definitely during the pandemic, it's worked for the positive in that um, it, it is obviously um, a digital product. So it was able to shift uh, more easily than traditional sports into an online only competitive format. That is not without its challenges though. It's, there are amazingly high technical hurdles that esports had to manage and, and overcome in order to, um, uh, to do that. And, and, you know, there's a reason that the esports gaming culture started from, you know, land centers uh, in person in in, uh, in Korea, you know, 20 years ago, um, it, it's because there's no lag. When you have two computers plugged directly by uh, a cable, um, uh, there's there's no lag, and and that is the ultimate level um, uh, playing field for a sport, and it truly is a sport um, that uh, is measured by you know fractions and fractions and fractions of a second, and and you know thousands of actions. Um, happening, you know, per minute. Um, so um, esports was able to do it. Uh, it was not as easy as it seemed, um, uh, uh, and it was pretty amazing actually to see uh, the franchise leagues from uh, from Riot with League of Legends and Activision Blizzard with its Call of Duty friend, uh, league and um, an Overwatch league do what they did. Much less all the other competitions that they were able to gravitate, um, including the, the Valve titles like Dota and CS:GO. But um, I, I would also say that that ability to, to pivot and, and, to, and, to, um, and to be adaptable, as you say, I think it can also be a negative in the sense that traditional sports 
have a you know a, a stability factor and um in terms of what they are and how they are and obviously massively disrupted as an economic matter because of covid when you can't collect people in arenas and stadiums but um the product you know you know what it is and it is what it is esports is still um needing um to get back to those stadiums and arenas too that that's how the the culture grows and thrives um it, it's it's as meaningful to gather for esports fans as it is for for nfl or nba or major league baseball fans um, and, and it's an important part, part of their culture and it's an important part of monetizing it. Um, and, uh, you know, ironically, th- this was the year that Activision Blizzard finally planned to fully activate the in, in the market um, uh, city-based franchise model um, events. And, you know, lo and behold, COVID hit and, and that, the rug was, was pulled out from under that um, monetization that investors had been um, you know, relying on. So, um, so yes, there's, there's, there's good and bad and ability to adapt, but, uh, but it's, it's also not, not without negatives too for, for esports. Sure. I definitely see the downside of the adaptability, especially as games like uh, Overwatch, for example, see a new game with Valorant coming out uh, and suddenly the reigning MVP retires to go play a new title. That's the kind of adaptability and quick change where it's like, wait, I invested $30 million for a spot in the Overwatch League and the MVP just left to go play a new sport. This isn't a, a Bo Jackson type situation or something like that that we've seen occasionally in traditional sports. This is a more a drastic shift and how quickly things could change in esports moment. You mentioned the Activision Blizzard franchise leagues and the way that they were going to activate in 2020. And I was calling, remember about this time in 2019, I kept calling 2020. It's going to be the the grand esports experiment from Activision Blizzard. It was going to be this huge uh, moment. Can this work? Can these regionalized, geolocalized cities work? Can they drive fans? And I'm one of the big casualties, you know, uh, among the actual casualties uh, from the pandemic was that in the esports world and losing uh, sort of that moment. So 2021, we'll, we'll see it come back. Uh, but I'm also curious, what are the parts of the survey? We've talked about how over the last five or so years, esports has used a lot of these lessons from traditional sports. They've brought in a lot of traditional sports executives, especially Activision Blizzard with Johanna Ferries from the NFL League offices, uh, Tony Petiti from MLB, MLB's de- deputy commissioner joining the team recently. We've seen a lot of traditional sports minds come to esports. But on the flip side, one of the survey topics was about how traditional sports can use esports and some of the things. Uh, can you talk about some of the findings from that section of the report? I found it interesting uh, how esports executives saw opportunities to use, especially digital platforms and digital media, better in the traditional sports world. Yeah, um, I, I think there's a there's a lot there. So um, you know, generally, I, I think a lot of people get confused when they think about traditional sports and esports they just think about okay for the nfl that means madden for the nba that means the 2k title and for for soccer that means the fifa um property but i think it's much more meaningful and much deeper uh than simply monetizing those sorts of titles and properties for the respective sports which are essentially just facsimiles of the real thing and will never really hold a candle to the value of the real thing. Um, I think and taking a step back and I'll get to the survey uh, results, but 
taking a step back, I think traditional sports initially looked at esports as um, uh, as something you know as a potential uh, revenue stream um, in terms of hey maybe we can make money off this this esports thing. There's a lot of people doing it, and we have a sport esport title potentially. But I think they quickly realized that the value here was more um, from a marketing perspective, from a, a connecting with um, uh, millennials and especially Gen Z, which is, uh, I think, a, a, a big challenge for traditional sports leagues right now. Um, in that, um, uh, it's the first generation that does not necessarily have traditional sports, the major traditional sports as a part of its uh, social fabric. And uh, it's been a challenge for even the NFLs and Major League Baseballs and NBAs of the world to connect with them. And um, I think that the smartest uh, operators in the space have, uh, and you know, I'm very biased. I mentioned I was at the NBA for nine years, but I think they're a great example. They have not looked to commoditize it and, and turn it into um, something that it's not yet, um, meaning um, you know, revenue uh, or assets. Um, uh, like you see in the core esports properties that, uh, that Riot and Activision Blizzard and, and Valve have. Um, rather, um, I think you've seen them utilize their digital version of the sport to meaningfully connect with those generations and those audiences. About a third of, uh, you know, there's a lot, all kinds of measurement companies and, and measurements out there, but uh, an often cited one is that about a third of traditional I'm sorry, a, ter- a third of that massive esports audience, which again, depending on who's measuring it, can be anywhere from you know hundreds of millions, you know, several hundreds of millions to you know, five or six hundred million. But um, but uh, there's there's definitely a lot of data out there that supports that about a third of them don't watch any traditional sports, and um, and I think Madison Avenue recognizes that as well, and um, and so I think the best run leagues have focused on using esports to authentically. Super important word in esports, but in me and, and to that generation, especially um, Gen Z, um, and meaningfully connect with with those audiences to show them, hey, we as a property, we understand you and believe in what you believe in, and uh, and respect what you respect and want to be a part of your culture. Uh, it's a very different marketing uh, approach, I think, than traditional sports are used to, um, in terms of. Uh, you know, previous generations, right? Like, I think a lot of it has been a sort of more top-down approach, I think, to, to marketing about, like, how great we are and what we do and don't you want to be a part of it, which is great. You know, like, teams market their their stars, their players, their their teams, their brands. Um, but in this case, it's it's very, it's been a challenge. The other um, important thing, I think, that esports has given uh, traditional sports, which has a shrinking audience problem, right? Like it's not often talked about, but it's it's a very stark reality that um, um, uh, the audience is aging out for every sport. NFL, again, baseball, NBA, um, they are uh, they're uh, that's what happens when you don't get you know, millennials and Gen Z at the same proportions, and and the eldest generation start um, going um, going away, um, and uh, I think one of the, the and again back to the NBA, another uh, very smart takeaway from esports that they've they've utilized is uh, the the broadcast components of esports. You see a lot more data, um, a lot more uh, multifaceted camera angles and interactivity, um, 
you've literally even seen um, uh, some, in some cases, um, broadcasts on Twitch from some of these traditional sports leagues and properties um, where esports lives, as, as I know you know, but maybe the audience doesn't. So it's uh, it's 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 uh, it's a fascinating world when it comes to uh, to media and, and and broadcasting generally, anyway. But I think esports is given um, you know shot in the arm to traditional sports broadcasts is a great takeaway as well. Um, but uh, and I think you know I, I guess I'll let the survey results speak for themselves. But I think the survey results kind of speak to that in that um, you see reference. Um, a number of these things in terms of the, the positive takeaways into traditional sports and esports, um, and then you know I'd probably just also add that um, and I mentioned Madison Avenue. The second quarter of this year um, brought um, maybe not more dollars, but more indifferent high-level brands into esports than had been there previously. Um, in part, just accelerating a trend that was already there, but when there were no traditional sports in which to advertise. Um, esports got uh, uh, another look from from some of the the companies that will inevitably get there because that's because of the audience, of course. Um, it's just a process to for decision makers to understand that and to choose to put their money into esports as opposed to say a golf tournament. Um, something that's a lot more readily understandable by decision makers, corporate executives at the highest levels um, at this point still. Um, uh, but uh, um, but yeah, I think um, you've uh, you've got a lot of, uh, of brands that have come into esports and during um, this this calendar year um, that uh, have hadn't been there before, and you see for traditional sports, I think you know a bit of a threat to them. Like uh, marketing budgets are a zero sum game, so um, I think that has actually accelerated some of these trends in terms of taking the positives out of esports and better connecting with those audiences for, for the traditional sports leagues. What's, what's really interesting about those massive brands entering esports is that quite a few of them happened more quietly than they would have had we not been during a pandemic. And I know this because I was writing an article for Adweek and I was talking, that's where I've done quite a bit of freelancing as our, as our audience knows, but I'm not uh, sure if you do. And that's been a, a pretty key spot for me to do it. So I immediately, the pandemic starts happening. I start hearing, Hey, we're having more conversations with brands. I've got a bunch of different esports organizations being like, yeah, we're having a ton more conversations with major brands ever since sports got shut down, but the brands wouldn't talk about it because the brands, uh, their messaging was all COVID related and they didn't want, Hey, yeah. So now we're investing everything in esports because if you guys, anybody who saw commercials back in the uh, April, May time, it was COVID. It was COVID. We're all together. We're all doing this together. Uh, and so brands just would not go on the record. But that didn't mean they weren't spending money in their advertising budget. They just weren't quite announcing it as loudly as I think they would have uh, had we not been in the middle of a pandemic. And so I feel like some of the, you know, when you saw like MasterCard enter the space two years ago, everybody heard about that. Everybody saw that. Uh, but with some other major brands made big investments they didn't get nearly the same amount of press because the brands didn't really want to go on the record, at least from my I experience mean, talking to a few of them. I'd, I'd, I'd push back on two things there. One, I think there were a lot of frozen marketing spends altogether. Um, and I think that's, I mean, you're writing in that space. I'm sure you're aware of that. Um, but, uh, but two, I think part of the reason it didn't get as much press is that, and this is sort of, again, a trend that was occurring pre-COVID, 
but was only accelerated by COVID is the main streaming of esports, right? Like it, it's a big story two years ago because nobody has really done it at that level before, right? Or, you know, brands of that caliber. And, and I think now that you see, you know, new and um, uh, equally big companies coming in, it's just not as novel of a story, which is a good thing for esports. That's a it's, fair point. It, yeah, it shows the maturity of the space that this is becoming increasingly commonplace and that it's being treated, you know, similarly as any other sports media and entertainment property. Um, if not better, uh, it should be treated better, I think, because it's a lot, uh, it's a lot more cost effective to get across, um, an amazing number of people. And most importantly, a, you know, triple amazing demographic that in some cases is otherwise very difficult to reach. Yeah, absolutely. It took a lot of, uh, that's why you need to hear the brands actually talk about it to get the coverage. So one of the last big deals I covered before everything turned to COVID was BMW entering esports and uh, BMW's. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. BMW spokesperson was super frank about, Hey, we don't totally understand how to reach these audiences. So we are just turning the keys. Literally, that was just like, we're just turned the keys over to five esports organizations, all with big League of Legends teams. And we're like, you guys create content. Use our cars. Our cars are cool. People think our cars are cool. Use our cars to create content. We trust you. And that was a big level of trust put in esports organizations to really take uh, a major brand's initiatives and be like, okay. You guys understand how to connect with these audiences. We don't totally get it. And we're going to admit that we don't totally get it. So here you go. And so that was one of the big entrances. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a conversation that's been happening to a lot. You mentioned, yeah, marketing spends were were frozen completely. No getting around that. Uh, but there was quite a few conversations happening and big brands reaching out for the first time. Uh, maybe they had sports initiatives that were locked down. Maybe they were like the gambling uh, operators and... Uh, when I talked to Joe Asher at William Hill back in February, and I was like, hey, what about esports? He's like, we don't care. <laughs> Joe Asher is the CEO of, uh, of William yeah. Hill. And right. uh, he, he's like, we don't, we, don't, we don't totally care. Now I talked to him again in May and he's like, yeah, this is great. Our handle on esports <laughs> is like, it's jumped up all this huge way. It was just literally they didn't have time to focus on esports because, you know, their uh, sports betting is getting legalized around the country. They're figuring out new initiatives. And it's, it's just a massive handle. When that handle goes away, when those marketing spends go away, when sports goes away, it leaves a void and allows people to have some time to talk esports. So let's talk a little bit about gambling because I actually do think there are some really interesting parallels there. And while this was a year when the Nevada Gaming Control Board approved a whole boatload of esports competitions for wagering, which was a great side for the future of esports betting, there was also some big scandals that esports has become unfortunately known for over a while of match fixing over in the LPL uh, with, I believe, more match fixing with a cheating bug found in CSGO uh, with some leaked scores getting out in a Call of Duty League match in one of the early rounds of the playoffs and the chat knew the final score. Uh, And so there's been some very big issues there. And one of the uh, stats that I found out of this was uh, what poses the greatest threat to the esports betting market straight from the survey. The top choice was lack of an adequate detection system and moderate tools for fraud and cheating. 46% of survey respondents said that was a problem. In addition, 75% believe that match fixing and cheating pose a significant threat to the legitimacy and growth of esports. 
What can esports do to help fix this issue? Because due to their nature on a digital platform, gambling and betting is a massive opportunity for esports going forward. And it's one that we haven't seen done with a ton of really solid legitimacy yet. Yeah, I think there's a lot there. And I was actually just going to jump into the gambling uh, point uh, before you asked the gambling question. But, um, but yeah, taking a step back to answer your questions first, I think absolutely this is part of the, the, you know, the flip side of being natively digital that um, it, it does have a lot more opportunity to, uh, to, for the outcome to be, you know, the integrity for the outcomes um, to be compromised. And, you know, whether that be um, through communication um, and that shouldn't be happening, um, because of the online nature of it, right? Not, not all this stuff is online. In fact, the highest levels of this competi- these competitions, as you know, are not, um, they're done in person, but still, um, because they're natively digital, there are, could be cheat codes embedded or, you know, so on and so forth. So yes, absolutely. It's paramount to have cybersecurity. It's, it's paramount to have, um, you know, integrity, um, software regulations, rules, those things generally. I think a lot of the the latter are can be imported from traditional sports in terms of uh, you know, best practices. There, it's the digital stuff that's unique to esports, um, and uh, that is certainly you know something that the publishers that control you know eighty three publishers control like seventy eighty percent of the esports market, right? Um, that they're very aware of, that they're constantly investing in and pushing updates out for and uh, and, 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 to, and to solve for these issues. So, um, I mean, the, the amount of money that gets put into, you know, League of Legends and it's been around for, for many, many years, um, you know, much less, you know, CSGO or even Overwatch and, and, and the newer titles um, to constantly update them in part for these reasons is enormous. Um but yeah, like to the extent you've got, um, you know, coaches who are being bad actors and that sort of thing that happens in traditional sports, right? Like, you know, not to single out the coaches, but look at the Houston Astros, right? So, um, <laughs> the, these are all issues for any, you know, fundamental issues for any competitive sports property, esports or otherwise that all need to be managed for if it's done well, it's not done well in a lot of other countries for traditional sports, which is why they don't have the value. I think that they, the leagues here and, uh, Western Europe do and soccer, especially. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so these are all, you know, part of important issues to solve for, to create, to, to create, sustain and grow the long-term value of everything, you know, related to esports. Um, but, um, in terms of the regulated gambling, yes, it was a, it was a great development that because owing to the absence of any sports in quarter two this year, you had um, uh, you know, regulators set lines and get their arms around esports, um, you know, which I think was an inevitability. And and I'll reference something that I'm sure you're aware of, but the audience probably isn't, um, is that um, several years ago there was, and obviously it was all unregulated, but there was an illegal um, uh, gambling ring going around on skins for CS:GO. Um, Classic. I, I want to say this was five years ago. Yeah, twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen, yeah. And um, and then you probably know the number I'm going to cite, which was it was a five billion dollar illegal gambling <laughs> ring, which is 
and you you know we're putting that in the context of the entire billion one billion dollar esports industry that the the upside of gambling for esports confounds the mind i think like that's that was one game one title one one element within that title and um and a lot of those the reason it got shut down is you had a lot of miners who were in, in, involved with it right and the uk authorities ultimately got valve which is famously hands off with its properties and esports you know such an important part of the esports um you know, culture um actually had to shut it down so um, imagine when this stuff is regulated, properly done by technology companies at the biggest and highest levels and, the, uh, and natively global, digital, people consuming this on devices, um, you know, almost entirely where it's easy enough to interact and, 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 and do these things. And whether it's to win skins or, or, or you know, money, um, there is so much money that, that uh, esports has in its, in its future uh, it's hard to get your mind around, but, um, you know, we're still working on monetizing traditional sports through regulated gambling and getting, you know, everyone's arms around and maximizing that, which is going to take time um, as, you know, we in the West, especially, especially in the United States, have been so slow to, uh, to accept that um, as a cultural and legal matter. But we're there and, and uh, you know, we're getting there almost uniformly. And then I think esports, um, COVID, is, if it's had a, you know, hasn't had many blessings, but if it's had uh, one for esports, I think it's the acceleration of that. Um, because I think because of traditional sports opportunities, it would have taken more a lot more time to get to um, for the regulated um, uh, gambling um, uh, powers that be. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited and bullish on on esports, and I see why uh, the William Hill CEO is as well. Yeah, who could forget the days of CS:GO, Lotto, and some of those scam websites that were you know valve had like 18 reasons they had to step in there but that was right. uh i always think about it, you know it's impossible to get a quote from valve it's impossible to really get much uh input from valve anyway so i always think yeah. about those their offices when that broke because that was the most flurry of activity i think we've ever seen out of that <laughs> office besides the announcement of a new game and yeah. uh especially and, and on the esports their, side don't forget counting their money they're very busy with that Oh yes, yes, of course. Naturally, it's it's like sixty five accountants and like fifteen other people. That's their entire uh, their entire business their day business in day model. Out. Right, exactly. <laughs> hey, it works for them, but yeah, when you uh, when you get involved to do a minor filled, uh, sketchy gambling rig, it's time to yeah. time to step in. So, totally. yeah, very definitely looking forward to you know living in Las Vegas was something that I was really excited. I moved here in January, coming oh, in to be like. Yeah, yeah, right before the pandemic. So it's been an interesting city to live into, to live in. Um, the thing I was most excited for, you know, NFL Draft, Evo, all these different things that got canceled. I was so excited for NBA Summer League. That was like, I was going to go, and I was going to go check it out. I was going to get a media pass through whichever outlet would let me, and I was going to go hang out with NBA Summer League. And so uh, it's, uh, it's such a sports nerd thing to miss, but I, I really wish I had the ability uh, to go there. But moving to the city... I was so excited to learn about esports betting. And my first conversations with people was like, oh, yeah, we don't care. Like, there's a couple people. The Nevada Gaming Control Board had, like, approved bets on League of Legends Worlds. But pre-pandemic, it just just wasn't that relevant to what they were doing. Uh, And then the second the pandemic happened, now everyone's talking about it. When the dust settles, I think there's going to be some uh, people who 
there's going to be some real initiatives that come out of this and some really big investment and some new games and some new lines and uh, people who've uh, invested into data analytics, people who've invested to the different ways that sportsbooks create lies that they feel confident in and they've done it for esports and that's going to stick around after the pandemic and also a lot of betters who uh you know it's no secret that a lot of the ways that people watch sports is because they have money on it you look at the popularity of fantasy football and there's a lot of people watching sundays uh, in the nfl who normally don't care about a jaguars versus eagles game but they're mm-hmm. watching it because hey I've got Josh Robinson and Jalen Rager on my team. So I got to watch this game right now. Uh, And so I I think that's a big opportunity for esports as well to gain an audience that maybe didn't really care as much because it it gives them a bigger input. It drives storylines. You know, we see all these different, uh, the bad beat that happened on Monday Night Football last night on a, on a garbage time Hail Mary. And it's just, this drives storylines. And we could definitely see that taking over to esports as well. 100% agree with that. Awesome. Well, that feels like a great place to wrap up. Bobby, thank you so much for joining the show. Like I said, I'm going to link this esports survey below. We hardly even touched a lot of the results here. We just wanted to have a conversation about the data. So I really encourage you to to read this report below. There's a lot of really interesting findings. You can take your own lessons from it. But Bobby, I want to turn the mic over to you one more time. What do you want people looking out for, following, watching out for in the future? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of, uh, one of the other hats I wear is... Um, uh, managing partner in a firm called Electronic Sports Group that is an advisory uh, M&A focused firm in esports, and um, and because of that, uh, I've got um, a day to day understanding and of the realities of of the, the transactional side of esports. And um, you know, I think you've seen a lot of interesting activity in sports generally uh, throughout the pandemic. I think you know where there's disruption, there's opportunity. And you've seen a lot of the dry powder, especially in the private equity side, um, starting to get um, focused on, on uh, buying opportunities. And I think whereas for traditional sports, there's obviously been massive um, economic fallout. And you, there's been a lot of, um, of interest in, in terms of capturing value where, where, where that might be created from the distress. And I think you see that in, in some European soccer, but not really elsewhere. Esports is really interesting because it's, you know, we started the conversation talking about the composition of capital being more mature stage, you know, last year. Again, this is all perception. This is is a a survey. Um, But I think that that actually was backed up by fact. Um, And and I think what we'll see going forward is a return to that. Um, I I think, you know, esports is had had its moment in the sun, I think. And, you know, we've talked about today, a lot of the positives in terms of accelerating trends that were there on the marketing and brand side, on the gambling side, um, on the investment side, I think it, it, it really hasn't been the case, but I think we'll start seeing that returning to be the case next year. Um, but, and I think that's less to do with the pandemic and a lot more to do with um, just the nature of Esports and the teams and the businesses and what they are and how they're all quite different and they're constantly changing and everyone's trying to figure out the space. But the one constant in esports is that audience. And, you know, it's half a billion or so big. It's about three quarters, 18 to 35. It's, um, you know, like we've talked about, um, it's, it's connected. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, the highly educated, high income. 
and it's super most important point is it's super under monetized relative to other sports media and entertainment properties. And you have a lot of smart people out there, operators um, running some really great uh, businesses, trying to figure out how to do that best. And the exciting thing is, I don't, I don't think there's any one set answer. Um, but I think that uh, there there's a lot of you know people who have some really interesting um, things uh, going on with their their companies that have had some lofty valuations, um, and uh, and some not. But I, but I think what's so exciting about the space is um, whether we like it or not, it is the future. It's what um, the younger generations are focused on. In some cases, more so than traditional sports or entertainment, frankly, for that matter at all. So. Um, uh, I'm, you know, I'm very bullish on the long-term growth. And I think the, the survey does a really interesting job of reflecting exactly, um, at least in my humble opinion, where things are. Um, and that, that's reassuring to know that, um, as it matures, uh, that, that you see, a, a greater under level of understanding and comfort with the wider sports media entertainment uh, industry um, from an investment perspective, from an operator operator perspective, from a brand perspective, um, uh, which which all bodes really well. And and I, and I know I speak for literally everybody when I say you know can't wait till we get to the other side of the pandemic to to really you know for everything. But um, you know from an esports industry perspective, uh, it'll be especially interesting because of these accelerated you know positive trajectories that it already had. Absolutely. There's so much innovation happening in esports these days. I should have mentioned the Electronic Sports Group in the intro. We just had your co-founder, Mike Sepso, on the podcast uh, about a week ago. So we have both the founders. Yeah. Yeah. We had Mike talking Vindex. Mike's a legend. You know, he started Major League Gaming 18 years ago, basically before before esports was a word. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, when it was uh, when it was the Korean uh, was it Kespa? Yeah, the the Korean the uh, esports mm-hmm. organization, and that's about it. Their their esports agency, and then like some random hotel ballroom. So yeah, Mike Sepso and with Bobby, you know, if you're we know I know we have a lot of brands looking, so check out the Electronic Sports Group. You're not going to find uh, more accomplished people combining tons of experience in the esports world, in the sports world, the entertainment world. So check out Electronic Sports Group as well. I'll put a link for that company underneath the show. And then be sure to read the survey. There's, again, a ton of insights. We barely scratched the surface on it. So if you enjoyed this conversation, I guarantee you enjoy that survey as well. Bobby, thanks so much for, ha- for having you on or for coming on the show. Uh, it was great having you. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again in the future. Me too. I appreciate the opportunity.